Welcome to the Faith Podcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe the Word of God has the power to transform your life to the life God has always meant for it to be. And we believe today's message will do exactly that. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're continuing with our series, if this is your first time here, or you haven't been in the last couple weeks. The slave market, the groves, and the father's house. The slave market, the groves, and the father's house. And this series, as it turned out, we looked at a lot of R's. We looked at redemption. And we said redemption views the world as born into the slave market of sin. But Jesus, by the shedding of his precious blood, by his death and resurrection, redeemed us out of the slave market. So we're no longer slaves to sin anymore. We've been freed. Then we looked at the groves, which was the place where Israel would always get tripped up and with the sin that so easily beset. So instead of going to the Father's house, they hung out in the groves. So in that week, we looked at God's love for us, how we are eternally redeemed even when we mess it up. And even when we mess it up, God can turn it around. And then we looked at repentance and renewal. How repentance means to change your mind and go the other direction. And renewal is you need to change your mind. You need to renovate your mind. You don't need to just renew your mind. Sundayly, you need to renew your mind in the Word of God every single day. You need to be in the Word of God every day and take out the stuff that doesn't belong and put in the things that does belong, which is the Word of God. Then we continued and looked last week at restoration. That God is the God of restoration. That it doesn't matter what you have lost, you are able to recover all. It doesn't matter if you lost everything because you blew it. It doesn't matter if you lost everything because life happened. It doesn't matter if you had to give up things because God said, I need you to give it up so you can do what I called you to do. Whichever way, while you're without, God is able to restore all. And Jesus said, if you gave up these things for the sake of the gospel, you shall receive a hundred times now in this time. So that's going to bring us to today. So let's look at text scripture in Romans chapter 5. And I encourage you to get the CDs or the MP3s from the previous weeks so you can listen and meditate on these messages. So Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, and he lives on the inside of us. God poured out his love in our heart. That means within you right now, you have the ability to love the most unlovable person. You have the ability to love the most annoying person. You have the ability to love the most irritating person. You have the ability to love the most ratchet person because the love of God's on the inside of you. And plus, somebody loved you. And you haven't been perfect all your lives. You can look holy and sanctified in church and waves as praise the Lord, but look at your neighbor and say, I know. <laughs> Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he proved, he showed his love toward us. That while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have to remember, Jesus died for the ungodly. He came for the sinners. Just because you're redeemed and no longer a sinner, you're not an old sinner saved by grace. You are saved by grace. And just because you are saved by grace, you can't forget the reason Jesus came was for the sinner. And you have to remember, people come to church, they're in various stages of development. Just because they're in church with you doesn't mean they're mature. They're mature. 
There are people who get saved last week and they still got a lot of stuff to work out. Still working out their salvation. As we said to the singles, just because they're in church doesn't mean they're a viable candidate. Ooh, I saw him lift his hands. People lift their hands at a Beyonce concert. That doesn't mean that they're viable. That's why dating is an extended interview. Oh, that's not romantic. It'll save your life though. See, there are times, now you've got to ask some extra questions. 30 years ago, you'd have to ask these questions, but today you have to ask, have you always been a woman? Have you always been a man? Or is this a recent development? But you get so caught up in the moment, you wake up and you find out something later. And you come in my office mad. I told you, you need to interview. You need to ask a whole bunch of questions. Oh, that's kind of extreme, but you need to look at even small. Now, well, this is an extreme one too. What is your relationship with money? I got money and you broke, so what are you expecting to happen? All right, what? You got how much debt? You, may, you want me to pay it all? You need to ask some questions. And ladies, it's not your job to take care of the man. Because if you gotta do that, he's not a man, he's a boy. You shouldn't be paying all the bills. Because what some of you, you, you're doing wifely duties plus some and you're not even married. I'm not talking about someone's in a situation, you're married and they had an accident so you are taking care of the family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you are dating and you are paying all the bills. There is something wrong with that. Well, if I don't do that, I'll be alone. It is better to be alone than get involved in mess. You have to be satisfied in Jesus and trust him that he'll bring the right person along so you don't settle because you are redeemed. You are purchased by the blood of Jesus. So live your worth. And the fellas are looking at me, it's like, come on, make it even, pastor, make it even, pastor. <laughs> and it's in the same way, guys. You got to watch, because people will come along, you look like you got it together, you drive a nice car, they're going to think you got a lot of money. And so you have to be able to interview them long enough past the looks. You can't just call them because they look good. Because that may not all be theirs. You go home, weave comes out, wig comes off, nails come off. <laughs> Y'all remember that Fresh Prince episode? They got caught up in that earthquake and everything came off and he was scared about what's gonna happen next. <laughs> come on, they don't wake up like this. I don't care what the song said. They don't wake up like this. <laughs> There's some investigation. And then also looks change. So you can't get, just get married because they look good. Now that is a huge plus because when they walked in the room, you did not see their personality. That's okay. But after you saw what grabbed your eye, you need to investigate. Back to the Bible. I don't think I've meddled enough today, but let's keep on going. So while we are yet sinners, Jesus died for us. We must never forget that. 
So go to Luke chapter 15, a little bit more review. Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 31. We looked last week at the parable of the prodigal son and how God restored everything to that man. But the older brother, the religious brother, was upset. He said he spent all of his money on harlots. Nowhere in the story did it say he spent his money on harlots. He assumed that. Or the older brother, the religious brother, had his mind on harlots. Just because you're in the house of God doesn't mean your mind is on the things of God. Well, Luke chapter 15, verse 31. Notice what the father who represents God in this parable says. Son, you are ever with me. All that I have is thine. The son complained, you never threw me a party. You never did this for me. You never did that for me. He said, you are with me all the time. Everything I have belongs to you. When Jesus died and rose from the dead and you received him as, his Lord, as your Lord and Savior, everything that belongs to him belongs to you. You are a joint heir with Jesus. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, all things are yours. This applies to you. So, well, why does a person who's lived a hot mess for a long time, they came back to God, all of a sudden their life got right. They found their spouse. They got the car. They got their dream house. Stop being jealous. And you just believe the same scripture. If God's able to do it for them, he's able to do it for you. Don't be jealous. Don't talk about somebody's house, somebody's jet. Get over it. Because you keep talking about it, you'll never get what you're believing for. Better watch talking about the anointed of God. Because you'll become a burden and yoke to them, and then the anointed's got to remove you. Verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He said, you shouldn't be so upset that he's getting everything that you wanted, even though it was already yours. You should just be happy that he's home. You should just be happy that he's restored. So when you see somebody get saved, you should be happy. When he sees someone get restored, you should be happy. And so we looked at how we're not in the slave market anymore. We looked at how we're not going to stay in the groves. We looked at last week how we live in the Father's house. So I want you to keep that in your mind that when you're in the Father's house, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. So let's start in Matthew chapter 9. And that was just my introduction. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. Notice what it says. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This was Jesus' MO. This is what he did everywhere he went. He preached, he taught, and he healed. That's what he always did. A lot of times, see, 
we do a lot of telling in Christianity. We talk about what God can do, but we forget the thing we did in kindergarten, show and tell. What is all visitation, manifestation, demonstration? God said, I want to play show and tell. I want to show what I can do. So when Jesus went around, he was preaching about the kingdom, teaching about the kingdom, and then he passed out samples. I'm not going to just tell you about it. I'm not going to explain it to you how it works. I'm going to pass out samples of the kingdom of God. So let's look at this, an example of Mark chapter 5, we've got Jesus doing it. He went about preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. It's what he came to do. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. This is what he was anointed to do, preach, teach, heal. So Mark chapter 5. So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is taught the most important parable of the Bible. And after he finished teaching it, he expected the disciples, at least his staff, to remember the message he preached. So they get on the boat. Jesus goes to sleep. He's exhausted. And there's a storm that comes. It says they, it beat against the boat. And in the Greek, when you look at how it describes the storm, it's only time he used those words of someone beating against the boat if it's actually an entity doing it. So let you know there's some type of spirit behind the storm. And so they woke up, Jesus said, don't you care about us? We're going to die. They were in so much fear, they questioned God's love for them. Jesus got up, told the wind, be quiet, that's enough. And it stopped. And they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obeyed him? But what else did he say to him? You of little faith. What does that mean? I expected you to deal with this. I just taught you Mark chapter 4. I expected you to deal with this. Why did you have to wake me up? So when we get to Mark chapter 5, they have already overcome the seemingly impossible circumstance. And you see what caused the storm to come in the first place. And they came over to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gadarenes. Now, if you just read through the Bible, it's like, what's the Gadarenes? Oh, it's a city. But you have to understand Jesus is a Jewish rabbi coming into this area. And this was not a Jewish area. This area he was going into was the region of Decapolis. It was a region of 10 cities. It was the name of a district of Palestine that included a number of autonomous cities. These 10 cities were started with Damascus and Philadelphia, Rafana, and a whole bunch of other cities. And the populace of Decapolis was chiefly pagan. Most of these people worshiped pagan gods. The 10 cities were not an official league or political unit, but they were grouped together because of their language, culture, location, and political status. The Decapolis cities were centers of Greek and Roman culture in a region that was otherwise Semitic. Each city had a certain degree of autonomy and self-rule. The Roman government wanted Roman culture to flourish in the farthest reaches of the empire, which at that time included Eastern Palestine. So they encouraged the growth of these 10 cities, allowing them some political autonomy within the protective sphere of Rome. Each city functioned as a city-state with jurisdiction over an area of the surrounding countryside. The Romans strongly left their cultural stamp on all the cities. Each one was eventually rebuilt with a Roman-style grid of streets based around a central road. The Romans sponsored and built numerous temples and other public buildings. The imperial cult, the worship of the Roman emperor, was a very common practice throughout Decapolis and was one of the features that linked the different cities. The cities may also have enjoyed strong commercial ties fostered by a network of new Roman roads. This has led to the common identification today as a federation or league. So it was a heavily Greek area, 
but there was a significant population of Jews, although the groups historically clashed in the area. So Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, is walking in an area that is very Roman, very Greek, where people worship Zeus and the emperor there. Although there's a significant Jewish population, it seems like Jesus is out of his element. So he walks off the boat, and it says, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit had the man living among the tombs, constantly associating himself with death. Now the word unclean here is defined as impure or lewd in thought and life. Impure in thought and life. The word translated uncleanness is listed three times in the New Testament attached to the Greek word pornea, which means all forms of sexual immorality, including fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, pornography, and others. The Apostle Paul defines sins like these in Romans chapter 1 as uncleanness. So this man is possessed by spirits of sexual perversion, and it drove him to the tombs. Now, how did it possibly get a hold of him? His thoughts. Remember, it's a thought and life. Your life doesn't just immediately begin to be unpure. It starts in your head. So a thought comes to him, and instead of shaking it off or rebuking it or thinking about something else, he began to meditate on it. You can't always control every thought that comes into your head, but you can decide if you sign for it and take it. Just like you can't control all the birds that fly over your head, but you can make sure they don't build a nest in your hair. And so this unclean thought comes in and he thinks about it. More thoughts come in and he thinks about it. Now he's developed a mentality of uncleanness. Now it's affecting what he does. And as he began to become unclean in his thought life, unclean in his lifestyle and in his actions, it opened the door for an unclean spirit to make its home there. Notice what it says. He had his dwelling among the tombs, always associated with death. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Society could not tame him. They could not make him behave to societal norms. Remember, Rome was not a very nice place. It's a Roman culture. And Rome was, Rome was very loose. So this man is so out there that it's too much for them. So he left the city, dwelling among tombs. The spirit drove him there. And when he, and always night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Crying, yes, he's depressed. Yes, he's distraught. But about the spirit, it always draws attention to itself. And it was drawing attention to itself. The whole countryside knew about him. And then he was cutting himself. See, cutting is not new. The spirit drove him to cut himself. He found some type of relief when he would slice his arm, slice his leg, and the blood would flow. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. When you look at the other gospels, it says he's also removed all his clothes. So the spirit drove him from all forms of modesty. He's unmodest, possessed with sexual perversion spirits, bleeding, have chains hanging off of him, filled with demons. He sees Jesus and he runs towards him. Now remember, it's Jesus and the disciples. What would you do? You see this man 
chains flinging, bleeding, not dressed, screaming. Some of the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, we'll get back on the boat. You the son of God, not me. Backing up, come on, Jesus, let's go. So the man comes and he worships Jesus. So the man's trying to worship, but these demons are still holding him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, these are what the demons are saying, what have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of the most high God? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. See, the demons know who Jesus is. He said, oh, I believe in God, I'm all right. No, no, even the demons believe in God and they tremble. He said, oh, the person I'm dating, they're spiritual. Demons are spirits too, get a little bit more clarification. For he said unto him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And when he asked him, what is your name? Now, why is Jesus asking this question? Remember, he only did what he heard the father say. And he only did what he saw the father do. So the God told him, ask him his name. You don't always have to ask the demon his name. You only do if the Holy Ghost tells you to. And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now he's trying to intimidate Jesus. A legion is about 6,000 demons. This man, beginning with an unclean thought life, has opened his life to a house party for demons. You need to watch what you think about. And all the movies and shows you watch. You don't need to be putting out cheese and crackers for demons. Going to movies and leaving out with a demon in a doggy bag. That's not how it's supposed to work. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. Why is it Gentile area? And all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. The herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country. And they went out to see what was done. So it wasn't just Jesus and disciples. It's all the herdsmen. Now, if there's 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of herdsmen there. So they see this unclean spirit. They are watching this reality TV. They see this unclean spirit-filled man run towards Jesus. They see Jesus cast it out. The demons left, ran into the pigs, and the pigs ran, so the herdsmen ran off. And they go tell the people in the city what this man has done. And notice what the people's response. You know, they should be, we're just so thankful that you delivered that man. He was going through a lot. We're just so happy that he's not going through anymore. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. So not only his modesty is returned, not only has he calmed down, he is now in his right mind. He is thinking and speaking clearly. And they were afraid. And they saw it, told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him or beg him to depart out of the coast. Instead of saying, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we need you to go. Now, they knew they couldn't mess with his power. He just delivered this man and all these pigs ran off. So they're begging him, Jesus, just leave. Jesus, just leave. Jesus, just leave. And so what did Jesus do? He left. And when he was coming to the ship, he that was possessed with the devil prayed or begged him that he might be with them. Wouldn't you want to be with Jesus after he delivered you? Remember, it wasn't just always the 12 that went around with Jesus. There were people part of his ministry team, the 70, who included Mary Magdalene and a number of other people who testified what Jesus had done for them. So Jesus had this large party with him wherever he went. 
So he's like, let me join you. Let me stay with you. But notice what Jesus said. Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion, mercy on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all did marvel. So Jesus was telling him, no, don't go with me. Go back home to this area and you tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. So think about if you were that man. He hasn't even gone to ministry school. All he knows is Jesus saves and Jesus delivers. And he has a testimony. You want to see the result of this man's testimony? Look at chapter 7, Mark 7. So he goes and telling everything what Jesus did for him. And it said, all men did marvel. Chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus returns and says in verse 31 to the capitalist area, remember, they begged him to leave. When he returns, they bring him a man who was deaf and couldn't speak. He prays for him and the man is delivered. He can talk. He can hear. And notice what they said about him in verse 37. And we're beyond measure astonished saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. These people in Decapolis went from saying, Jesus, we don't want you. Leave. Leave. Get out of here as quick as you can. He does all things well. He does all things well. Why? One man gave his testimony. There is power on your testimony. We overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony has an anointing on it. You need to tell your testimony. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let them tell your testimony. We have a brother here who had an opportunity to go and minister at one of the homeless shelters in Midtown. And so he told me a couple weeks before that he had this opportunity, and he asked for advice, what should I say? I said, well, just tell them your testimony. It has anointing on it. And then take them to Romans and tell them all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And lead them in that prayer. So he got up and I said, then, then listen to whatever else the Holy Ghost tells you to say, and you do that. So he went and he did just that. And then he gave an altar call. And the altar was filled. People getting saved. Filled with the Holy Ghost, getting delivered from drugs because he gave his testimony. There's an anointing on your testimony. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Someone's like, oh, I'm going rough. Oh, oh, no, Jesus brought me through. He can bring you through too. There is a power on your testimony. You can defeat the devil at every turn by saying your testimony. Sometimes you need to remind yourself about your testimony. What God has brought you from already. You need to remind yourself. You got to be like that psalmist in Psalm 77. I will remind myself of the years of the right hand of God. God has not forgotten to be merciful. He has not forgotten about me. His right hand, he still blesses. He guides. He delivers. He'll bless me still. He'll guide me still. He'll deliver me again. You need to tell your testimony. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. How can I make a difference? This man made a difference. You might say, well, I've not had that story that man went through. My, you know, my life sounds pretty boring. You know, I didn't backslide. I've always served the Lord. You know, I never did drugs. You know, my life's always been good. That's still a testimony. The same grace that can redeem you is the same grace that keeps you. So you can tell people not only can Jesus get you out, but he can keep you and make your life stay together. 
Matthew 9, verse 35. As we saw before, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. So yes, we should pray that God sends laborers into the harvest. That's where we begin. Chapter 10, verse 1, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So Jesus said, you've watched me long enough, now you go and do the same thing. Pray for laborers to go, and then you go, because there's work to be done. Jesus saw all the multitudes, and in his body, he could not get to everybody. So he told these 12, now you go and preach. He sent them two by two. You preach, you teach, you heal. Oh, pastor, those were the 12 disciples. Go to Luke chapter 9 then. Those were those apostles. That was Peter. That was James. That was John. That was also Judas too. Luke chapter 9, verse 6. Same story, same message. Luke chapter 9, verse 6. Verse 1 and 2, he's, tell, he's telling the disciples. He gave them the authority. He told them to preach the kingdom of God. He commands them to heal the sick. And verse 6 says, and they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So go to chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, 70 more people. Who are these people? Were these the 12 apostles? No, these were just 12 follow, 70 followers of Jesus, 70 disciples, people who have been going with them long enough. He said, I've sent out the 12. I need more people to go. So you 70, you laypersons, you're not called to ministry. You have all these other professions. I need you to go too. And he sent them two by two before his face and to every city and place where he himself would go. Look at verse 9. He gives them a long message of what he tells them to do. In verse 9, he says, And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. He told them what to preach. He told them what to do. They go and do these things. So what are you saying? Not just Jesus was healing, but now the disciples are healing. Now the people in the congregation are healing. Yeah. So you mean it's not just Jesus and the preacher supposed to preach, teach, and heal? It's you too. Verse 17, and the seven returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. So just like when Jesus spoke unto the demoniac and he was delivered, these 70 are having the same results, and they're coming back excited. We've cast out devils. We've been casting out devils. The demons had to listen to us because we used your name. Notice his response. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I saw when God kicked him out. It was like, boom, was nothing. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Remember, if they're walking everywhere, serpents and scorpions are a danger unto them. They're small dangers, but still dangerous. He said, I give you power over the small dangers, but I give you power over all the power of the enemies, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This should be in your mouth no matter where you go, no matter what you're dealing with. Jesus says, nothing shall by any means hurt me. 
Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You begin having the worst day of your life, but you can start rejoicing because your name is written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, one, he rejoiced that these people caught the revelation, but this report they brought him caused him to rejoice. Now we say, well, we picture Jesus, he's always calm, and yes, thank you, God. That's not, what, that's not rejoicing. That's what some of y'all do every Sunday, but that's not rejoicing. The word there, rejoicing, one of it's defined as to spin around violently. Why do we dance? Why do we spin? Why do we run? Why do we shout? That's what Jesus did. Their report caused Jesus to shout. The Bible tells us that every time one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. Is your lifestyle causing heaven to turn up or not? Is the way you're living in your life causing, seeing Jesus said, come on angel, get on that organ, we need to shout a little bit. How does your life affect heaven? How you live today affects what's going on right now in heaven. And every person that gets one, causes heaven to rejoice. Every person gets delivered, causes heaven to rejoice. Why? Jesus loves them. And that same love he has for them, he already put in your heart. As we said in Romans 5, the love of God is poured out, shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, the spirit of love. So you should be just as excited every time you hear somebody got saved. Just so amazed. I was at Pastor Osteen's meeting last night. Thousands of people got saved. It seemed like there was more unsafe people in that room than there were safe people. And he gave that altar call. And you see a stadium respond. And he says, there's more of you up here. Stand up. And another thousand stood up. Wow. It's amazing. Because Jesus loves all those people. So go to 2 Corinthians 5, coming down the home stretch. So what we said we're called to do here, to make Jesus famous by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. The root of all that is getting people saved. We can't forget we're called to get people saved. Yes, healing is ours. Yes, prosperity is ours. Yes, wisdom is ours. But the root of everything is we're called to get people saved. Because Jesus loves them. Yes, he loves you, but he wants you to mature enough to where his love works through you and you love the lost so much that you're willing to go get them. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of God constrains us. It's motivating us, because Jesus died for us and raised from the dead. Although he purchased our life back, he gave us freedom, because he loved us, because he died for us. We we live for him. It just makes sense, because he died for me. I might as well live for him. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So it doesn't matter your past anymore. This is why I can't tell someone about Jesus. Don't you know my past? The demoniac had a past that everybody knew about. But once Jesus freed him, he said, go tell others. So it doesn't matter how messed up your past was or how recent it was. You have a message to say. Jesus saves. He forgives. He heals. He delivers. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. All things are new. Once you repent, even after you're saved, you messed up, you repent. God doesn't remember it. He treats you like it never happened. So when you come to him, you can't say, oh, God, I've messed up again. He says, what you're talking about, I don't remember the other times. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's your standing. The blood has made you worthy. So when you come into the throne room of God to pray, he doesn't see you in all your faults, all of your mistakes. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees you as worthy to receive your request, just like if Jesus, his son, asked. That's why we pray in his name. We pray in his stead, in his authority, in his character. So when we come before him, we're praying and asking for things just like Jesus would. That means we only ask for what Jesus would ask for. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us, say me, the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means the restoration of friendly relations. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses against them, not accounting all their sins and all their mistakes, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God was working through Jesus to bring the world to himself. Then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he gave us the word of reconciliation. We know what to say. Jesus saves, he heals, he delivers. He did it for me, he'll do it for you. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's dead, be ye reconciled unto God. Ambassadors. You know, when we send an ambassador to a foreign country, they don't go on their own agenda. They do the agenda that's stated by the United States. You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador for heaven. Your agenda should be what thus saith the Lord. You should do what you see your father do. You should say what you hear your father say. You go and you represent that kingdom. You go as his representative. That in the same way God worked through Jesus to bring the world to himself, God will work through you to bring the world to him. You go in Jesus' place. You go in his stead. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, says the New Living Translation. So we've been looking at ours, our throughout the series. So I want to bring you another R today. Redistribution. It's a dangerous political work, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, and you're in the Father's house, and everything belongs to you, it's time to pass out samples. Mark chapter 7 says, after this woman's daughter was healed and delivered, that healing is the children's bread. In a prosperous economy, bread is easy to come by. People, if the nation is prospering, people don't have to worry, is there bread? Bread is easy. Bread is cheap. Bread doesn't cost you anything. So Jesus is saying healing and deliverance, getting someone healed and restored, getting someone delivered is just like bread. 
you believe are in the Father's house, so it's time for you to pass out some bread. You have to realize that you have what it takes to make a difference. That you come across someone at your work says, well, I have, my back is hurting. Well, let me pray for you and you'll be healed. Oh, I'm going through something today. Well, I got the answer. You can be delivered. You have to understand that you have enough on the inside of you as a distribution house for God of the anointing of God. You can make someone's life change forever. So we serve a Jesus who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. So it might be going on in your life. Oh, you're an alcoholic. My Jesus can deliver you and grow you a new liver. Oh, you are a meth addict. Jesus can deliver you and give you your teeth back. Oh, your whole family is jacked up. Take a look. You can take care of it. Why? Jesus is in you. It doesn't matter what you are going through. Just pass out some bread. Go out and pass out some samples. It doesn't matter what race they are, what culture they are. Jesus went to a culture that he didn't know. So if you need to pass out some tortillas, pass it out too. Jesus is in. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. We believe that he is more than enough. That he is the all-powerful God. That he is the almighty God. That he is able to heal, save, and deliver to the uttermost. So it doesn't matter what's going on. If you are there and it's happening in front of you, you deal with it. You are a child of the most high God. Pass out some bread. I want you to see it as so easy. I want you to see it as so simple. That when you go to the restaurant this afternoon and the waiter brings you some bread, that you almost shout in the restaurant going, who can I heal today? Who can I forgive today? Is there anybody here who needs prayer? Stop making it deep. It's not that deep. You've been watching for months all these people being healed instantaneously. That wasn't just Jesus passing out bread, yes, he was doing it, but it was also a demonstration that if you're watching, you're learning how to do the same thing. If you're a member of this church, you're connected to this ministry, that same healing anointing that flows on me will come upon you in your hour of need. So you just need to believe that someone said, oh, I'm going through this. Let me pray for you and you'll be healed. You speak that word of reconciliation to them. You speak their healing. And you get them saved. You get them delivered. Then what do I do after that? Bring them to church. So I don't know what else to say. Bring them to church. You tell them your testimony. You lead them to Jesus. What do I say? Well, confess that he's Lord and Savior. Leave that prayer you hear us pray every Sunday. Get them saved. Bring them to church. It's not that hard. You just have to be willing to step out and pass out some bread. Go to Luke chapter 7. Members of your visitation, manifestation, demonstration. Lives of God, it's bread time. And he doesn't just want to happen in the house of God. He wants it to happen in your house. He wants it to happen in the schoolhouse. He wants it to happen at your job. When you're in the marketplace, wherever you go, you have to be willing to be used. We did that Gifts of the Spirit series in November. It's not just so you know what goes on at church. It's so you know how to operate when you leave the house of God. God wants to use you, not just the preacher. So Luke chapter 7, and we'll close here. Glory to God. 
It's time to redistribute. It's time to lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. It's time to tell people that Jesus delivers, that Jesus can heal the brokenhearted. It's time to say that God has an answer for you. It's time to be willing to be used by God. Why, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and we'll close here. Jesus was invited to this Pharisee's house. This religious person wanted to hear things from God. And this woman walks in. Verse 37, behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus had a meeting in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Everybody in the room knew she was a sinner. She had a story. She had a past. But she came to Jesus and stood at his feet. Everybody's watching. Everybody's looking. Weeping she was. She began to wash his feet with her tears. And it wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now this alabaster box that she broke on Jesus' feet, it said it cost a year's salary. Those around said, you're wasting it. Judas said, you're wasting it. It should have been given to the poor. Judas said that not because he cared for the poor, because he kept the money and he wanted to steal what came from that. Be careful what spirit you're of. She wasted, it looked like a waste, but she was glad to waste her life on Jesus. She wasn't ashamed of looking foolish for Jesus. She didn't care what people thought about her, she just came to Jesus. And then she washed his feet with her tears. We were thinking our Western mind, she must have cried a lot to be able to do that. But I was reading the commentary and it said in that culture, there were those who carried around these vials with them to catch their tears because they so valued life. So anytime she would cry, she would try to catch her tears in that jar. Remember, she's in a place everybody knows she's a sinner. So let's say her story may have been like this. Her father died or left home when she was young, tear in the jar tear in the jar. She goes to look for approval and satisfaction and another man because she's missing her father. And she thinks she found someone, but they take advantage of her. Tear in the jar. Tear in the jar. She goes through heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. Tear in the jar. Tear in the jar. Tear in the jar. She gets to the point where she's like Gomer and she sells her body. The first time she does it, the man drops that pouch of money on the table next to her and walks out the room, feeling so used, tear in the jar, tear in the jar. A life of doing it, a lifetime of tears, a lifetime of pain, filled up a whole jar enough to wash a man's feet with. But when she came to Jesus, not only did she waste her life on him, she broke and poured out all these tears. I have found the man who can heal my heart. I have found the satisfaction and the approval I was seeking for. So no longer do I need these tears. I can be whole. And Jesus said to her, go your way. Your faith has saved you.
Your faith has made you whole. It doesn't matter what your past is right now. It doesn't matter what you've been through or how broken your heart is. You're like, well, how can I pass out bread? My life is so messed up right now. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus can heal you too. Jesus can save you too. Jesus can restore you too. He can deliver you to the uttermost. He can fix it all. Why? Because he loves you. He's not counting your sins against you. That's the word of reconciliation. That message is, Jesus took your pace. He died the death you were supposed to die. He was beaten the way you were supposed to be beaten. He was crucified in what you deserved. He went to hell in your place, but God raised him from the dead. And he comes to you and says, all you have to do is receive. I won't force myself on you. All you have to do is receive and believe that I took your place. As we said, the message that we say is, come back to God. Come to Him. Are you willing to waste your life upon Him? Are you willing to let Him heal your broken heart? Are you willing to receive Jesus? I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, what you would like to today, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe He died for me. But on the third day, you raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come unto my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit. to you, you want to give financially, also go to FCCGA.com and you'll find out how to do so there.